The resurrection is an essential part of Christian thinking, and it brings together many other theological concepts. And in this episode, we're going to wrap up our study of the Nazarene Articles of Faith with a conversation on article number 16, which looks at the resurrection, judgment, and destiny. And today we're going to be answering some questions. Is the resurrection a purely spiritual matter, or is there any bodily element to it, or is it both? And several of these questions that are out there we hope to answer and bring everything together with a cohesive conversation, so let's get to all that. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And of course, our studio, as it is known here in Cord Purgatory, hopefully that's not part of the resurrection. Actually, that was a joke. It's not. Um, but there are others here with me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and in our studio, we've got a whole variety. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. All right, and today we're going to be looking at Article 16. So why even hesitate? Pastor Amanda, <laughs> would you lead us in a reading of Article 16? All right. So Article 16 reads as follows. It says, We believe in the resurrection of the dead, that the bodies both of the just and of the unjust shall be raised to life and united with their spirits, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We believe in future judgment in which every person shall appear before God to be judged according to his or her deeds in this life. We believe that glorious and everlasting life is assured to all who savingly believe in and obediently follow Jesus Christ our Lord, and that the finally impenitent shall suffer eternally in hell. All right, so let's get to a conversation on the resurrection. And of course, this does pertain to judgment and destiny as well. So let's just open up with this. That was in kind of our introductory statement of the question of, is it a bodily thing or a spiritual one? So I just want to open up and I'll throw this around the studio. Is the resurrection a bodily resurrection or a spiritual one, or is it both, and why? So someone lead us off in answering that question. Pastor Mike. Well, I believe that it is both. It is a bodily resurrection, of course, because we see Christ Jesus um, in his resurrected body eating um, you know, fish, uh, taking of the honeycomb. Uh, that's in Scripture. Uh, but also, you know, that there there is the element of when we die or asleep in the Lord, where does the Spirit go? And even though there is the Spirit, we believe, that goes back to God, there is that understanding of wholeness and completeness in the resurrection of the body. And I believe the Spirit will be there with it. Right. And even when we look at the logic that we find throughout Scripture and our history as the people of God, when God creates there is a material side of creation. A lot of times we think of material and fleshly things as being like totally evil. We kind of have picked up some things from some different traditions throughout time that are all products of a fallen creation. But when God came and created and spoke creation into place, we do find that people have fleshly bodies. Um, and it was not sinful. It wasn't inherently sinful for our, our most ancient ancestors to be there naked and at, at peace in the garden. They were learning and they were walking with God. I know we had talked about this in show prep. Um, I don't know if Amanda wants to build off any bit of, of the kind of question of where evil comes in. Maybe we'll get to that later. But there was a material aspect to that. And God wants to redeem creation. So, I mean, it's very logical that there is going to be a bodily resurrection. And n not only that, you, you go to scripture, you find the language of a bodily resurrection. But the reason why I wanted to open this up is a lot of times 
when people come to this, I've seen this several times throughout the church in different areas. Um, people kind of take the resurrection and the idea that we'll be made perfect to mean that there is no body. And I've really heard people preach and teach in a way that kind of goes to will be bodies that are more balls of light. You kind of go around and you see another ball of light. And even though it doesn't look like a person, doesn't look like anything you've ever seen, you're like, oh, that's my parents. I've, I've been waiting to get to be with my parents again. And there they are. I recognize these balls of light. That must be who that is. But I don't, I don't know. That, that kind of misses this whole side that God did create us as beings with body. Pastor Amanda? Yeah, and I was thinking, um, we were talking about earlier um, in, in our show prep about some of these stories after even Jesus' resurrection, like with Mary Magdalene or, or the disciples on the road to Emmaus, how they, they didn't quite recognize Jesus right away. And I think some people take that story and they say, okay, well, like if we're supposed to extrapolate from that, like as Christ was resurrected, we have a hope of resurrection, which is true. Then they're like, okay, if Jesus wasn't recognizable, maybe we aren't. And maybe that's what kind of leads us down this weird uh, bunny trail. Uh, so about how we're going to look when we're resurrected and we um and, and i think really what those stories tell us uh, about jesus and also about our hope in, in the future bodily resurrection is that it will be we'll have a perfect body a complete body a whole body uh, we will no longer have to deal with the uh, limitations and affirmities that may have afflicted us in our earthly lives and that may change how we we look or how we appear to others or how we even relate to others um but it we will still be ourselves um, God is not resurrecting um, uh, somebody else or creating a totally new person. He is redeeming um, his original creation, us. Yeah, and, and so that's, that's really where, again, the resurrection ties a lot of things together. Like redemption is tied together here. God is redeeming us. It is it is something which is, is unique to, to your particular person and soul. And... When you come to this question of are we going to be sort of like balls of, of light going around, that's one of those places where you kind of get in heresy when you start trying to explain away the mystery of it and things which are just inexplicable. So we're not going to try to ex <laughs> explain the inexplicable because that does always turn into heresy. But, Anthony, I know you had something you wanted to add to this. Um, concerning the question, is the resurrection a bodily resurrection or a spiritual one or both, um, I would just say that this question comes from a mindset that's been passed down for a long time. And a lot of people trace it to uh, the Greek philosophical influence on the church. But um, it's coming from this mindset that you can divide the person into different essences. And so there's like the spiritual essence, the mental essence, the heartfelt essence, the soul. and then like the bodily essence, the soul. Um, and so a lot of times people sort of make these divisions but in the early church, these divisions weren't necessarily made. And you can also see this in the language of the New Testament. The same word for heal and save, as we've talked about before on the, sh on the show, is sozo. And so whenever Christ heals a physical ailment and whenever he saves their um, relationship with God, this is the same action on Christ's part. And yeah. Christ is also shown, depicted very clearly, uh, concerning salvation to this salvation is um, concerning the entirety of the person Christ didn't only come to heal the blind and liberate the captive but also to uh, save their eternal souls and to um, bring them back into right relationship with God and so uh, this idea concerning the different essences of humanity is a little off just because Often we really should treat 
the entirety of the person as the person, and body, soul, heart. Let me step in there. You were talking about the different essences. When you go back to the ancient Greek world and they, they were, I mean, you get things like Plato where there's the, the world of the forms and then there's the like fleshly side. And a lot of times if you go to the ancient sort of Greco-Roman world, there's this idea that the fleshly side is corrupt. And a lot of times this sort of thinking tells you, well, you can do whatever you want. So you see in like Roman culture, people having all sorts of parties, doing things which are not holy, not clean. Um, but you, you see this mentality that says, well, the body doesn't matter. I'll do whatever I want with my body. I'll, I'll do all this sort of stuff, um, pollute it, do whatever, who cares? Um, because it's the fleshly side of things. It's just inherently corrupt. But that line of thinking still goes on till today. And there's this idea that just sort of all fleshes must be corrupt. So if we're gonna be in sort of the this new era, this new resurrected era, well, surely that would be gone. But in reality, these are things corrupted all the way back to creation. Pastor Amanda, I know you had something you wanted to. Oh, no, I, I was going to comment off of, of something he had said, but um, Anthony kind of completed my thoughts. So oh, okay. Sorry. Very good. Pastor Mike? Well, I would just like to say that, uh, you know, we, even though we don't give in to fleshly desires, flesh is not bad in and of itself because remember that Christ Jesus was um, not only fully God, but he, the other fully side man. of that was he's fully human yeah. and he took on flesh and blood. And um, so, yes, uh, yeah, and good while, conversation there. Yeah, wrapping up all this about the body, though, because um, the bodily resurrection is important to Christian understanding. Because again, everything kind of runs hollow if you kind of de- if you just completely detach yourself from any material truth, then you you're really not at a very very good place. One of the questions that I used to get a lot as a pastor, and it all came, seemed to happen as a, like a spurt. There was like a year in my ministry where I had a lot of people and unrelated circumstances coming to me and asking, hey, preacher, is it okay to be cremated? And one of the things which comes up with the resurrection is we realize that God is not so merciless to resurrect people in the last way that their body was on this earth. I mean, that would just be absolutely terrible. You think about the ways that people fall asleep in the Lord. You think of the way that people pass from this life. A lot of times, even if you you have a long life, a lot of times there are still ailments, illnesses that happen. People die in car wrecks. There are a lot of really terrible ways that people pass from this life. And God would not be so merciless to say, well, whatever your body looked like that last time you breathed, that's how you're going to come back. That that would not do anything to redeem a fallen creation. And as we know, even if one lives a natural life, we still have consequences of things which we're not living in the state of humanity that God originally designed. So there's got to be a bodily resurrection where we are free from all those things which have corrupted us. Um, Pastor Mike. Yeah, I would just like to say that uh, Brent McMillan used an example one time, and Brent uh, very much a, uh, you know, professor of philosophy philosophy and uh, very, very, uh, influential in, in my life. Uh, but Brent would, would say that, you know, he, I think there was someone in his family that asked about cremation and the reason they wanted to be cremation, uh, have cremate, be cremated was because it was, um, uh, they believed in the power of God and there had been, you know, people who had been buried at sea, there had been people um, who had been burned at the stake and so if God can raise them, he can definitely do that with, with uh, those of us who have been uh, cremated. Yeah, and that's, and, a, that's a good way to and, conclude that. Yeah, Yeah, and then so on the other hand, uh, he said he had someone said they didn't want to be cremated um, 
because they wanted to take good care of the body as the early Christians did and because they believed in the resurrection. And the answer to both questions is, is, is that they believe in the power of God in the resurrection. And, and so uh, both answers are right. You can go either way, but it is because they believed in the power of God. Well, I think when it comes to cremation, God is not so merciless that he would not resurrect somebody that right. cause they were cremated. Um, I, I think that's a fine decision if people want to, to go in that route, just to give you know, <laughs> pastoral guidance in that direction. God's not going to be like, well, I guess I can't <laughs> resurrect anymore. Um, yeah, not, not going to happen. I don't see that happening. All right, so let's get into some scriptural basis on the precedent of the resurrection, which is part of judgment, redemption, and, and destiny, and then kind of move through scripture. So for those who have been watching the program, we've talked a lot about Genesis. You find all the way from early Genesis when Adam and Eve, they're sent out of the garden. They're taken away from the tree of life. And Brother John Mills, who's one of the, the he's a licensed minister here serving at, at Jolton with me. He um, was talking about in one of his sermons that it's actually merciful of God to take them away from the tree of life because they have now had sin in their life, which is going to cause them to decay. They're going to, to have this constant separation from God that is getting worse and worse, and God does not want them to be stuck like that eternally. And then later on, as God comes to Noah, you find that all of humanity it is perpetually thinking of sin. It cannot entertain any other thought other than wickedness and sin, and so it's already dying. Basically, all of humanity is dying, and it's reached up to heaven, and it's got this weird sort of cosmic outlook where sin has grown so much that God comes in and says, you know what, people aren't going to live this long because I can't stand to see this endless death and decay. And then God comes in and says, I've got to do something. I've got to create, create an ark. I've got to create a lifeboat where creation can be spared. And even in the story of Noah, you see God comes and he says, I want to redeem all of creation. And it's not just humanity. In that story, it's it's animals, it's even sort of geographical things, geological things. God wants all of creation redeemed. Um, but moving a little bit further in time in the history of the people of God, I want us to look now to the story of Jonah. Um, we're kind of having a special day of Jonah here coming up, so this has been fresh on my mind. But in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah ends with this divine question where Jonah, he's mad. He was called to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to. You know, he gets eat for three days by a sea monster. He ends up going to Nineveh, which is not an Israelite place. You know, Israelites aren't here. They're, they're foreigners, but God told him to go there. And Jonah gets really mad. He says, you know, these, these people in Nineveh, they were wicked, but now they've repented and now they want to have covenant with you. But the people at home, they're wicked too, and they don't want to turn to you. You know, why do these foreigners want to make a covenant with you and the people at home who are supposed to be your covenantal people, they don't want to turn to you. Jonah gets all mad about it. And um, God comes to, to Jonah in Jonah chapter 4 in verse 9, and he has a great thing that he says to him. Um, so let me just read this for you from Jonah chapter 4, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? Now, just taking a pause for a minute. Mind you, this is about a bush for a second, but it's about really all of creation. Let's pick back up. And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, for which you did not grow. It came in to being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left, and also many animals? And that's it. That's all you get for Jonah. God comes and says, Do you do well to be angry? 
because Jonah's kind of mad. He says, you know, why do these people want get to have a covenant with you? My people don't. He's kind of mad. He's being pouty. Jonah is a successful prophet in spite of himself, like <laughs> totally in spite of himself. But in that, the whole divine question God says is, you, you didn't work for this plant, but yet you're kind of into it and then mad about it that's gone. You, you're mad enough to die over a plant of all things silly. And he says, should I not care about Nineveh? And really what's implied by this is God says, I worked, I labored for creation. Should I not care about creation? And even though these people don't know the right hand from the left, should I not want them to be redeemed? Should I not care for them? And so the reason why I bring this up in the course of the resurrection is because there is a precedent all the way through the history of God and how he's worked with his people that he wants his creation redeemed. Amen. He wants it. And a lot of times that makes people mad, especially if you're Jonah and you don't want the, the Ninevites and the sailors to meet God. You kind of get mad and jealous because your home people won't. But the whole thing is, is God wants all of his creation redeemed. That's a beautiful thing. Any thoughts on, on Jonah and Nineveh before we go to our next scripture? Well, I think this is just a continuing story of, like you said, God is always at work trying to redeem the world. And, and Jonah and the people of Israel forgot that their vocation, their uh commission was to be blessed so that they could bless the world. It wasn't God just picking out his favorite child. It was God saying, listen, I'm going to, to empower you so you then be a means of grace to the world around you. And, and this is really every Christian's then call as well is like, you are saved not to hoard the salvation to yourself, but you are then to go out and be a means of salve, of healing, of salvation. Although we do not within ourselves save, but we can be that means of grace by which God can use us um, to help heal the world. And this is, yeah. again, and also I think this is maybe an interesting point. I'm going off our notes a little bit, but is that the resurrection will happen one day and it will come, you know, Jesus coming with a great shout and the trumpets will sound and uh, the, the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. All this wonderful stuff will happen, but we don't get to just sit back and wait until that one day for the for the kingdom of God to come. Yeah. That it is breaking in and so we have to participate in it now. And although we don't live in a resurrected body right now, we still have that hope in one day everything being made perfect. We can still have that perfect life in the sense of perfect as appropriate, as meaningful, as purposeful. And so as we hear the story of Jonah, I think all too often we want to find ourselves um, in the story maybe on, on God's side. And, and maybe many of us are actually a little bit more like Jonah than we would confess um, that we're just kind of like, wait, God, what are you doing? You're not, the kingdom isn't breaking in the way I want it to break in. And God's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you all your your job is to trust and to be a means of grace. Yeah. And that's it. And being means of grace, being instrumental in bestowing God grace, these are good theological concepts. The prepositions are, are correct <laughs> of grace, not the originator of it. But let me ask you one question, Pastor Amanda. Yeah. Because um, there's one word. And again, if somebody was listening to our conversation, they might logically say, well, okay, so if the resurrection happened hasn't happened now, we're still in these bodies that are not the new bodies. Well, that must mean we can't really be holy till then. Well, let me ask you this question, Pastor Amanda. Can we be holy now if there is work to be done now? Yes, I think the short answer is definitely yes. And this is something that, that can often set us apart from other traditions within Christendom. 
um, is that this hope of holiness, and really holiness is this idea of, of being different and not just different for the sake of being different, but as the rest of the world goes towards chaos and destruction and death and selfishness, uh, we are called to, to repent, to turn. And that this movement towards wholeness and life and life abundantly, right? Because Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life, abundant life, full. And, and, and not just full as in the sense of like your cup is filled, but it is so filled, it is overflowing like yeah. we hear in the 23rd Psalm. And that it so overflows that it yeah. splashes on to other people. And there's this imagery throughout scripture and really all the stories of the people of God when they act like the people of God is that as they have experienced God's grace, as they have been made holy, they then go out and live holy lives, different lives, complete lives, um, holy as in uh, H-O-L-Y and also as in W-H-O-L-E-Y, that there's just this this perfect completeness that comes by being with God. And it so transforms you that even in the midst of a broken world, even in the midst of failing bodies and destructive relationships and a world that just seems like every time you try to fix it, it just wants to break itself twice over, you can still be complete. And that you can still bring that hope to other people. Amen. Anthony? (laughs) (laughs) There's not really any other segue than that, than just amen. (laughs) Well, uh, this is going to totally bring our podcast down a notch because Amanda just took us up. But um, there's a part here in this story. Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. And this is sort of stupid, but... The human side of me, which I am entirely human, uh, <laughs> holy. <laughs> I, know we, I know we've been watching Star Trek. Yeah, the and Vulcan I, side has taken yeah. over a little bit. Yeah. In any case, you guys know what I'm trying to say. Yes. The part of me, which is totally willing to admit what I am, uh, sees this, yes, angry enough to die. And I'm like, wow, actually, Jonah is so stupid, and I can totally relate to that. <laughs> I am that stupid. Um, sometimes there are so many little things that we see and especially concerning the things that God does sometimes where we can be angry enough to die about it even though it is so good and so holy and even in the face of it even in the face of God coming and challenging you and saying is it right for you to be like that Yeah, we will wholeheartedly say Yes, I'm angry enough to die right now. Well, one of the beautiful things about Jonah <laughs> is like once you get past the, the – and I don't mean to sit here and beat up on Jonah. But um, once you get past the fact that Jonah is not really the hero of the story that God is, <laughs> that God can work in someone in spite of whatever they want. Like Jonah kind of does his own thing um, for a while trying to go the ring. But God's still working anyway. And that's that's kind of the beautiful thing of that. There's hope for all of us. There is hope for all of us. Um, so, yeah, it's not worth being angry. Uh, so, Anthony, since you had your thoughts there, why don't you lead us into Mark 5? I know you had some interesting stuff pertaining to the revelation or some revelations pertaining to the resurrection as it is revealed in the gospel. So there's a lot of R words for us, if I can <laughs> keep to my my language well. All right. So I wanted to bring up this passage because in the context of the resurrection and things like that, our articles of faith are not written to uh, debunk other ideas and things like that but there are other ideas which become extremely relevant in this context concerning the last days the final ultimatums of creation um and so the resurrection judgment and destiny uh so one must wonder if we're being resurrected and then judged and then brought into eternal life or eternal damnation what happens between then 
you know, whenever you die. What happens whenever you do die? Immediately, anyways. And so I want us to... So basically um, you're asking the question, when someone passes, do they immediately go to heaven or, or what? Yes. And so I want us to look at Mark 5, 35 through 42. Okay. While he was there speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, and he being Christ, by the way. Um, but while Jesus was speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he said he had entered, he said to them, when he had entered, rather, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha come, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. And so I want us to look at this uh, excerpt for a moment just to really study the phrase, the child is not dead, but sleeping. I've read this before several times. And every time I've read this, I've just sort of assumed that this is Christ sort of making light of her death and in his awesome power saying, no, she's not really dead. She's basically asleep, and I'm going to go wake her up real quick. And obviously, that's something, it makes sense. They laugh at him. It's totally absurd. And so Christ is sort of um, making his own power that much more noticeable and awesome that he can make death like sleep. But I started thinking about it. This is an instance of Christ bringing salvation. This is the foreshadowing of what it is to be someone who is saved by Christ. And so... Um, if you are, and this is we're, I wanted to bring back up the phrase, uh, asleep in the Lord. It's a phrase that I think is a really good phrase to understand the death of a Christian from the first life before the resurrection, asleep in the Lord. And so, um, in many ways, this child was asleep in Jesus Christ. She was dead. I mean, that was pretty clear among the people. I think that was even clear to Christ, but Christ has a different understanding about death, which is that it is um, one which is not eternal. This is but sleep. And so it's a foreshadowing of what it is to be saved. She is, you know, awakened. She's healed and she is saved. The same is true for the Christian. Whenever we die, we are asleep in the Lord. And so on the day of, uh, before the day of judgment, there will be a resurrection of all people. And those who are asleep in the Lord will have eternal life. Those who are not asleep in the Lord have eternal damnation. Well, and I think this kind of brings us also to a really good place to talk about, even in resurrection, um, you know, Jesus transforms this concept of death so beautifully, like, like Pastor Anthony was talking about, where it is not the end. And, and really the concept of resurrection um, in uh, the Hebrew kind of faith in, in, in Judaism wasn't really developed until uh, about the, the first century or a little bit before when Jesus comes on the scene. And, and Christ comes and he also almost redefines resurrection even. Like he takes it 
uh, beyond even what the, the, the Christian leaders of that age could really understand it because there's a sense that um, as we wait and anticipate that final day that is coming, that even in our resurrection, that there is life and everlasting and abundant life. And so we do not become um, these stagnant creatures that just kind of, I don't know, just exist up in heaven or in the new heaven or in New Jerusalem, but we continue to worship and, and grow and fellowship with Christ for all of eternity. And, and the other thing is, I know Pastor Dylan asked the question about like, what does that look like for those who have already fallen asleep in the Lord? And what will that look like? What are they basically, what are they doing now? Like as we wait for the res- the final resurrection, um, we don't know. <laughs> I can't give you a timeline on that. I don't know what the, because, uh, you know, we have scripture in Revelation that talks about an old heaven and then there's going to be a new heaven and it comes down to earth when there's a new earth. And I, I don't know. I don't know what it's all going to look like. But we have this this trust and this faith that, that, that Christ will be at the center of it. And that all the, the the beauty and the hope that we begin to see in this lifetime, we can anticipate will be in its fullness um, in the next life. Yeah, and let's build off of that and go a little bit further in our examination of the resurrection. Let's go actually to some of the writings of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and in this, if we look at verses um, 12 to 14, we find as follows the following. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. So what Paul is telling us is there is a bodily resurrection or else everything is in vain. And really, when you actually come to how people look at the world, Humanity is wired to be religious. Like that's just fundamentally true. Like this whole notion that if you you leave people with nothing, kind of teach them to be agnostic, they'll grow up to an adult and then maybe they'll choose something. It's not true. Something is going to fill the void. People want to be made spiritually whole. And in this moment, the early church, they're, they're longing for that spiritual completeness. And Paul basically comes to him and says, I can't really reason this with you. There's no amount of like me giving you a rational argument on the resurrection that's going to win. He basically just says it's like this. Either there is a resurrection of the body, of the dead, or there's not. Either it's entirely true or it's entirely in vain. It's either totally made up, it's totally fake, um, hollow, a waste of your time, or it's absolutely true beyond your imagination. And that's really how a lot of times the world is. A lot of times we're kind of told that, you know, give people a well-articulated argument, give them reason, people are ready for that. People are not ready for that. People are generally like really predisposed to not like that. It's just unfortunately how the, the world works. And as a preacher, I kind of got thrown into that. I always thought that if you could reason with people, you could kind of teach people things. But really, a lot of things are spiritual matters. And when it comes to the resurrection, there's a lot of mystery there. And the truth of it is, when it comes to this, is that it's either entirely true or it's totally in vain. And that's what Paul is telling people. And um, that doesn't always give people the, the resolution <laughs> they want, but that's really how it is. Um, it is a spiritual matter. Anthony. Um, just to supplement this with a little bit more from Paul, this is the same chapter. And so I want us to review verse 42, 47, 49, and 52, just real quick to get a com- more uh, complete idea of the resurrection, because it is certainly true that... Um, if we do not believe in the resurrection of Christ and in the resurrection of the dead, then certainly our faith is uh, faithless. But that's not really that doesn't fully answer all of our questions concerning resurrections. What's it going to be like? And so um, the rest of the chapter addresses these topics. So all this is verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. 
it is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. And so we can see that uh, after the resurrection, we will be, you know, immortal, having imperishable bodies. Well, this is the idea that this corruption, which has come into fallen creation, this, and again, the fact that the consequence of sin is death. And a lot of times we think of that as, again, being completely detached from the material world. But I know Anthony, when he was dealing with that dead opossum, Beelzebub, <laughs> he, he kind of had this urge that says, you know, I've got to ask for forgiveness being here because I'm around something which is ungodly. I'm around something which is not part of the established form of creation. And really, that's part of this. Sounds a little bit weird, but yeah. Continue on. Sorry. Verse uh, 47. The first man is from earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. And this sort of carries along with it a lot of, um, I don't want to say philosophy, but basically some philosophy surrounding Christ being the second Adam and us being recreated in his image. We are earthly men currently, but we are being sanctified into the image of Christ. And after the resurrection, we will be as a heavenly man, just as Jesus was. And so in verse 49, just as we have been born the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. And so that sort of harkens back to um, the very first ideas concerning the creation of man, that we were created in the image of God. Obviously, we, are, we were earthly creatures, but we were, in the image of God, we were revealing and glorifying our Father. And so uh, that, that is how it will be after the resurrection. In verse 52, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable and we will be changed and so um it's not going to be a resurrection which is just simply you died and now you're going to come back to life but you will be transformed into the image of christ you will be imperishable and uh you will be changed well i was just gonna say um you, you said transformed into the image of christ and again to kind of reiterate that we are now being transformed continually as we walk in this christian yeah. Uh, faith into the image of Christ, but that image will be completed yeah. perfectly, even though we are being perfected now. That it will it will come in its completeness uh, in the resurrection, and I think that's uh, the limitations of our, our finite language. Uh, sometimes we struggle with, but um, there is completeness now, and yet there's complete completeness to be had. Yeah, later. and to build off that a little <laughs> bit, so when we understand when one is entirely sanctified, the carnal nature is not just removed from creation. Like the carnal nature is there. People can backslide. People can do things. People still have free will, but there is a, a, a you're no longer bent towards sin. That, that entrapment is gone. But the carnal nature is still there. When you get this new resurrection, there must be a bodily resurrection because we were created to have bodies, but also there must be a new body that is freed of the corruption, like entirely, like not tainted by it, not not one that has been the product of it. So that's, that's really where, where we're at. Anthony? Um, and like Amanda said, our language is very limited, but if we certainly pull from some other ideas from language, we can get uh, an even more wholesome picture. And so, for instance, telos, perfection, there's multiple layers to perfection, and telos is the word for that's used for the Christian perfection that we can find in the New Testament. It's a Greek word, and it is centered around the idea of perfect for purpose, perfect for use. And so this shirt, it may not be perfect. It's probably frayed in a couple areas, but as far as I'm concerned, it's perfect for my use, you know? And so humanity left to its own devices is absolutely imperfect. It is not perfect for its use and it's not flawless. In this life, 
whenever we are saved, our spirit is being uh, molded and recreated into the image of Christ, even now, currently, before the resurrection. And so we are pursuing telos, perfection of our purpose. After the resurrection, even something like our physical fleshly bodies, which are perishable, a flaw, will be removed. Yeah, I think in a nutshell what Anthony's trying to say here is, um, you know, where we've taken the, uh, uh, inherited the attributes of Adam uh, and sin, that as we've been moved out of the Garden of Eden, uh, decay will happen to these bodies. It it happens. However, in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, he has a resurrected body that does not, decay and when we are resurrected we will receive it is a bodily resurrection but it is a, a new type of body that will not decay like our the bodies we have now so yeah very good point all right well we're going to change topics just a little bit pastor amanda well i was thinking as we're talking about the resurrection this article of faith is about it says resurrection judgment and destiny and i think we've talked a lot about the um resurrection part obviously and also about the judgment we see kind of in um uh how to grow in that relationship with christ that we're obviously saying that there's something good to move towards versus um and evil to move away from but i was kind of i was myself struggling with this idea of destiny especially in our article because i didn't think it really articulated it and then it hit me and so that's why i wanted to kind of share it and maybe this is just for me but it says in that last part of our article that we have assurance. And I think that's maybe where the destiny part comes in. And, and often we think of destiny in, in our pop culture as kind of this like, um, maybe because I watch way too much sci-fi. <laughs> but oftentimes destiny is like the chosen one, that they have this 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 end to goal to their life that, that they cannot escape from. And that's obviously not what we're talking about as uh, Wesley and Arminians because we do believe in free will. But even in that, we do have assurance um, that this is an end for all people. And so there's assurance that those who savingly believe uh, go on to uh, eternal life and those who do not go into a different eternity, an eternity that is separated from all that is good and right and a perfect relationship with God. And, and so as we talk about this article and this resurrection, then what happens after the resurrection and what really is our hope in eternal life, it is that um, that we can be assured that this hope is not in vain, as we also looked in Paul's writing, uh, because Christ did really resurrect uh, and continue to live and empower his people, that, that we can have hope into uh, eternal life where we can commune with everyone. And there is, um, there's just a great assurance in that. And it is, as Pastor Dylan talked, we have free will, we can backslide in this life. Um, but that, uh, this is not all just make-believe to make us feel better, um, but that we have seen throughout uh, the story of the people of God and the story of God uh, that um, there is there's something we are moving towards. And so we have assurance of that. And so we call that kind of in our old language, we call that destiny. But I think maybe a better word would be assurance. Yeah, assurance is a really great word for that. Um, Anthony? Uh, just to build off of Amanda's point, I like that uh, that finding an interpretation concerning assurance in the article because it is you don't actually see destiny mentioned explicitly in the article but I think you can find it in uh, the assurance to be had for the believers just so we can avoid uh, sounding like Calvinist um, the assurance is clearly from God and is only mentioned in regards to uh, all those who savingly believe and obediently follow Jesus Christ for them is assured everlasting life Interestingly, that same language isn't found for, and that the finally 
penitent shall suffer eternally in hell. Those who are unwilling to pay penance up until the final moments shall suffer eternally in hell. And so um, that assurance for eternal life, it's coming from God. These others who remain finally impenitent would be assuring themselves eternal hell. And so that is uh, sort of different places for where assurance comes from. You know, maybe maybe I should bring a little... Um keyboard or a synth or something here we can break in a song like blessed assurance yes. and there's actually several songs that would go um old holiness songs that would fit just slide right in here um to really elevate ourselves to the level of holiness preaching but let's actually read some scripture to go with this so anthony went to this whole idea of those who are finally impenitent those who have no repentance they they have no desire to move away from the bend towards sin let us read from the book of Revelation. And after this, we'll see who in Cord Purgatory wants to lead us through the apocalypse, um, um, or which is Revelation, apocalypto. Um, but Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, and all the place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And in that, you get this idea of the second death. Now, when it comes to condemnation and judgment, we know that when Christ came, he did not come to judge the world for the sake of condemnation because the world was already on the pathway of doing it. And really the second death is an extension of that. Just as, as the assurance we have, it is a fulfillment of things, which again, the grace of God has been working towards for a long time. Um, that second death is a fulfillment of that bend towards sin. It is that state where people say no repentance, no desire to turn away from that, no sorrow at all, no no desire for anything other than just, you know, ultimate wickedness. Um, that is the fulfillment, the second death. Um, any other thoughts on that? Well, and, and I think uh, Pastor Anthony definitely alluded to this when he was talking about how the assurance to of eternal life comes from God versus uh, the assurance of the second death really comes from people, their own choices, is God does not... Uh, send us to hell and I know sometimes we say that and it sounds a lot like a cheap platitude or kind of a Sunday school answer but if we really believe in free will and I mean really truly believe in it then we have to realize and confess that if God is never going to force God's self on others then there has to be room for people to be and to exist outside of of God's love Um, and this is not ever that God uh, stops loving them, but they have removed themselves. And this is kind of even seen again, and we're talking a lot about creation being redeemed. Uh, we see the beginning with the end in mind and the end with the beginning in mind. God makes space uh, in, in creation as he creates. He makes space for the other to exist. And so even in after the resurrection, we will again see God making space for the other to exist, even those who do not wish to be in his presence. Yeah. And of course, some of us may ask, well, that who would ever choose not to be in God's presence? Um, there are people, I think, that are just so consumed by their own will that they cannot ever concede or conceive of a world in which they are not their own God. Um, and so, again, this is, this is, I think, the logical conclusion of free will. And this is also the logical conclusion of a truly loving God, yeah. is that God will never force God's self on others. Well, love can't force behaviors. And just to make a clarification here in Revelation 21, 8, a lot of times people want to turn these things into formulas and be like, ah, this sin, this sin, and this sin equals burning in fire and sulfur. <laughs> That's not what this is saying. If people have something 
in their character that says, I like this and I do not want to return to God. They have something separating them from God. That is really the essence of what that's saying as more as it being a formula. Because um, a lot of times people look at stuff like that and be like, yeah, this is the formula for right, the second this, death. This sin gets you into the first yeah, circle right, of hell. Right. This sin gets you in the seventh or somewhere in between. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. And really what this is telling us is it's not so much about the specific sins here. Because, again, people can there are other sins that people can get into. <laughs> but it's just saying things that come into people's life where they allow that to separate them from God. And they are. In the end, they have no repentance. They are impenitent all the way to that final moment. Um, that That is really what takes people to that second death. Um, Anthony, any thoughts before we get to our final question? This is very slightly off topic, but sort of building off of um, something that Amanda said concerning people condemning themselves and things like that, free will. Uh, we know that we are saved through faith alone. And as James says, even the demons believe. So what does that mean whenever Christ says, your faith has saved you, and yet James writes, even the demons believe, and yet theirs is a place in hell. And so um, what I would like to say on that is that we've lost a lot of uh, connotations to faith and sort of and whittled, yes, and sort of whittled it down to only a question of whether or not you have a simple acceptance of existence, a belief in, whereas faith really carries all the connotations that it carries whenever someone remains faithful to a contract or someone remains right. faithful to uh, their spouse. And so um, I think in many ways, it's sort of like due diligence. Well, have you, you may, maybe you haven't always been ritually cleansed. Yeah. Maybe you did not, maybe you touched a dead body. Maybe you um, sacrificed a bird whenever you should have sacrificed a goat or a rabbit. You or know? maybe you sacrificed but, straight up to an idol. I mean, sometimes people go all the way. Maybe you did, but, but you have turned away from it, yeah, and you right. are practicing due diligence with your covenant with God, which is to remain faithful and loyal to him. And so um, in the end, it is a question of whether or not you are willing to remain faithful to God. I think I've been saying for a while that prepositions are essential <laughs> to using theolo theology well, and it's the faith of Christ Jesus that brings us salvation, and it is through Christ Jesus. It's not our faith in ourselves. It's not even our faith in in per se, because it's something that we cannot initiate. Christ did something that was initiated, and it's our faith that we have in Christ and is the faith of Christ. I know that sounds kind of weird. A lot of stuff going on there, but specifically the faith of Christ and through Christ that we find our salvation. Pastor Amanda? Well, and I think that's where we, we see um, in, I believe it's first or second, first Peter, I think it's the second chapter the first chapter. Wow, sorry. But um, it says, be holy as I am holy. And that's actually quoting an Old Testament text. <laughs> it is, be faithful as I am faithful. Yeah, be loving yeah. as I... Like, yeah, there's yeah. so many uh, adverbs and verbs that we could put in there. It's basically God saying, look, I have created you in my image to yeah. be as I am. And that means um, then you've got to actually do it. <laughs> yeah, and let us take that to our final question for time. Um, is... This era which happens when the resurrection happens is that that new resurrected body is life in that form static. In other words, you kind of are, you got a new body, you're all free of sin, so now you're made into like a rock in a throne room. And that's kind of what you do for the, all eternity. So is the resurrected life static? Um, Anthony, you were the first to, to cue <laughs> in. So, uh, One of my professors likes to talk about the kingdom of God 
He really likes to really focus. He's Professor Hoskins, in case anybody wants to know. But <laughs> Professor Hoskins really pushes uh, the idea of the kingdom of God being a kingdom to his logical ends. And so for him, Christ, uh, you know, sacrifice on the cross and things like that are, in a way, he likes to say, acts of conquest. And so yeah. this is the word coming into creation and bringing holiness into it. It is God approaching the chaotic waters in the beginning of creation and bringing order to that chaos. And so I think in many ways concerning this question, is resurrected life going to be static if we are to be made into the image of Christ, into the image of the word, which is that which brings order to creation, then it cannot be static. Even if we are made complete, we must be in the process of bringing more and more order, bringing more perfection, bringing more godliness into creation. Very good. Pastor Mike? Well, I'd just like to say the resurrected life is not static, but the resurrected life does not begin at the resur the death, uh, at the, the, the great resurrection where all the saints are resurrected, but the resurrected life begins now in our lives and how we live. Amen. And we live differently in the resurrected life because of what Christ, uh, the work of Christ. And so, it, yes, it is. It is that faithfulness of Christ Jesus. That's the work. But it is relational in that we must have uh, a response of believing in the work of Christ. And so there are very many uh, dichotomies, and it's not dualism or, or platonic that I'm talking about, but good and evil and chaos and order. And so we have the, all of these things, love and hate, um, you know, life and death. And so as we look to our scriptures, we, we see God being a, a God of life and blessing. And so that is just a beautiful thing to live in. And so there's no way once we come to that place uh, of believing in Christ Jesus and the work that Christ has done, the faithfulness of his work, that we can be static. We must be um, involved. We Abs have no choice. Absolutely. And let's come full circle. Early in the program, I mentioned this. In show prep, Pastor Amanda had talked a little bit about life in the garden and how people kind of misconstrue the commandment God gives. But when we look to the resurrection, we see things being redeemed. It kind of is a return to that. Though I'm not going to say it's explicitly a return to that. Again, there's a mystery about this that mm -hmm. we can't explain. And I don't want to be a heretic, so I'm not going to explain <laughs> mysteries that are not in my purview to explain. Um, but Pastor Amanda, bring us back to that line yeah. of thinking. That's a good way to end this program. Okay, so I was talking about, um, we see in the story of creation, and as we move into Genesis 3 and the story of the fall, I think especially in pop culture, and I notice this a lot, um, there's a TV show that just came out on Amazon that's based on a book. Uh, that kind of goes through this this movement uh, between two, an angel and a demon from from the fall to to the end times and um, and I realize it revealed a really secular view is often we think that the fall of man was because uh, we wanted to know good from evil we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we think that was the sin that God didn't want us to know the difference between good and evil and so then we get to these weird questions like well how do you make a choice without knowing how do you make a good or bad choice without knowing good or bad? Um, and it, so we've missed it. I think we've, we've gotten kind of off mark a little bit. Um, really what the, the sin was, was that humanity chose, they wanted to be the originators. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to be the arbitrators of good and evil versus allowing God to teach them. Because I think, 
I think that's what was happening. Like we read in scripture where God walked with them in the cool of the day. What was God doing? He was fellowshipping with them. He was teaching them. He was a father to them, a mother to them, a parent, a a guardian to them. And, And humanity all of a sudden just said, you know what? I don't think God's good enough to teach us right and wrong. And so we're gonna, we're gonna sin. And, and I think that really is, is what sets us up always for destruction is when we think within ourselves or we try to find these other human powers uh, to, to decide for us what, what is going to give us life. And we find that these ultimately fail. And God says, you know what? When I'm, as I am redeeming the world and also at the end of the resurrection, when all things will be completely and perfectly redeemed, is that we're going to go back to that continual fellowship, that walking in the cool of the day where I will teach you and I will, I will work with you. And I don't like, I don't know what it's going to be like. We have other passages that says people aren't, you know, going to marry and give in marriage and they're not going to do this or that. So, so there's definitely going to be this new way we're going to relate to one another. But our lives are still going to continue. We're still going to have purpose. And I, I, I also think a lot of times we have this imagery. It's going to be like one giant worship concert in heaven. And I'm not, as someone who, who dislikes that idea, I hope heaven's more than that. <laughs> I'm going to second that. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I just said this that. Is where we, uh, this is where we all get fired. Right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Uh, but but I'm just saying it's going to be more than that, and not that and, and not that we won't be worshiping God, but it won't be limited to simply yeah, singing absolutely. songs. Yeah. That It'll... our lives will be this complete wholeness. So I don't know. Maybe we will have jobs. Maybe we'll tend a garden. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll be uh, uh, woodworkers and masons. And I, I don't know what it's going to look like. It's a mystery. But we have hope that this purpose that we are given in this life doesn't just end in the next life, but continues and finds its perfect perfection. It's purposeful purposeness. However you want to phrase that. We, we like to, in theology, create our own words. So I don't know what I've done there. But anyway. Somebody created their own word with this article. With right. Suddenly. So we'll create but, our own words to explain the article. But right. I'm just saying there's going to be this wholeness that will continue. And we aren't going to just sit back on clouds playing a harp. But all of creation as it was created to be, to tend and to take care of animals and to find the completeness that there exists with with, with, with uh, our, our dogs and our pets and, and, and with all of creation, that that is what we, we will continue that purpose that we were given in the garden throughout eternity. And let me just, let's let's go to, to um, the Lion King now. There's a new Lion King out. And I think there's actually a really good illustration in the original Lion King. Again, I don't think it was necessary to remake it. But the <laughs> remake's pretty, it's all right. Um, Amanda is pointing out the sin wasn't knowing good and evil. It was the how they learned good and evil. And I think there's actually something to this. In the, the story of the Lion King, um, there's a, a, a famous scene where, where um, the dad, Mufasa, he tells Simba, he says, you know, all this kingdom is yours, um, but you don't need to go over there. That dark spot over there, you don't need to go over there. And Simba's like, well, what is that? What is that? And, you know, he's like a, a, a child. And he's like, oh, I want to know what that is. And his father, Mufasa, the king, it's not that he didn't want his son to know about that. He knew his son was eventually going to be the king, and he's going to know what's over there in the darkness. He's going to know what the shadows are. But it, he was to learn that in time, as he got older, as he got more mature. And Simba, he kind of runs over to the villain, his uncle Scar, and he's like, hey, Scar. And Scar's like, ah, Simba, your father told you not to know what that is. He don't want you to know about it. And he's like, oh, that's an elephant graveyard. And, of course, Simba runs immediately to the <laughs> elephant graveyard. He, he kind of corrupts Nala a bit, too. He's like, hey, Nala, let's go do something bad. Um, so they go over to the elephant graveyard. But in that, is really kind of what you see going on. I think what Pastor Man is trying to say, God was working with them. And I, we find God comes, he comes to talk with them, to be with them in the cool of the day. And they are walking. There are his servants in the garden. God is portrayed as the master gardener there. But 
eating the tree, eating the fruit, that was not how they were supposed to get to that place. That it was a, a skip in the things. You were not mature enough for this yet. And, and it corrupted the order and it corrupted creation. Anthony. I think a good way to put it uh, verbally is just that they wanted to lay a claim to the knowledge of good and evil yeah. by partaking in that yeah, fruit. Yeah. You know, they, they whenever they saw that and they were like, I have a claim to this. Yeah. Even though God said that you don't yet, you do not yet have a claim to the knowledge of good and evil. And that's a huge mistake that people make even today. We like to be the originators of the, uh, I guess, the personal ethics and what is going to be good and what is going to be evil. And that most of the time is enough for us. If we feel like it's evil or we feel like it's good, then that's how it is. And a lot, outside sources are not really up for consideration in that most of the time for a lot of people. Yeah. And that is the great sin of Adam and Eve. It's laying a claim to that knowledge and saying we are mature enough to operate this knowledge. Yeah, and, and it's just to build off, off that, again, I think the great story of humanity's fall is the servant who has confused their role with that of their master. And I really think that's what you find with, with Adam and Eve is, I know you threw the word yet in there, but I think it's they thought they had a claim to serve in that role, mm. that they were the arbiters of it, kind of like Pastor Amanda said. They're the, the originators. They get to choose. They get to be the judge of good and evil. But that was not what they were designed to be. That, that wasn't their role. They didn't have a claim to that. And yeah. Well, anyways, I think that's a good place to end. We've run a lot longer than I thought we would, but it's been a good program. Are all hearts and minds clear here in the studio? I think so. All right. We don't have any um, holiness songs to sing for USUN, so with that, <laughs> we'll just say, God love you, and have a blessed day.